Hello to all of you. I'm Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome to our podcast, which we're calling TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope you have been enjoying these weekly podcasts. Our goal is for them to serve as a tool to help you understand the process of success, to know what it takes, what's expected of you. I want these podcasts to have an impact, to be personal, to answer the questions you're all thinking about. And let's face it, this is a place to ask. We are enjoying all of your uh, listener emails, so please continue to send them in at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. This is the place for originality. This is the place for authenticity. Uh, and I'm going to introduce you to a person here in a second that expresses both of those things throughout his life. Uh, and you know, as I've said repeatedly, there are many blemishes on the road to success. You got to know that achieving success takes a lot of hard work and soul searching. And my goal in this podcast is to bring different people from different walks of life to talk to you about their life stories, but also to be honest with you and to tell you where they've made mistakes, where they've done things right, where they've done things wrong, what insights, what judgments they've made over the course of their life. Uh, if they could do things differently. Let's say they were back at 22. Maybe they're 62 today or 52. If they could do things differently, what would they tell the younger version of themselves? Uh, just a reminder for people, um, I'm not the typical Wall Street guy. Uh, I'm not that fancy. I still live two miles from my mom and dad on purpose. For me, it's important to have family close. It helps me feel connected to them. Perhaps some of you listeners can also relate to that. We're talking to somebody today who is one of my mentors. He's one of my heroes uh, in life because he's the kind of person uh, that doesn't take no for an answer. Spent 25 years on the New York City police force. How many? 15. 15 years. Got hurt. Skydiving with the Arabs, remember? Okay, I remember that. All right, we'll yeah. talk about that in a second, okay? 15 years in the New York City police force. Then went on to build an incredible private investigatory business. A investigations. Data, investigations, data business. Uh, he is one of the most well-connected people in the world. He's written a couple of books, one of the uh, three books. One of them was called Lunchitations. Business Lunchitations. Business Lunchitations. We'll talk a little bit about that. Please welcome to TMI Bo Deedle, who is the CEO of Bo Deedle and Associates. You wrote One Tough Cop as well. That became a movie, did it not? Major motion picture. You're a Fox News contributor. You're an actor. You've acted in Goodfellas. You've Wolf acted in Street. Wolf of Wall Street. You're in Vinyl, most recently in Vinyl. And about uh, 25 other TV series and also movies. Okay, so you're a Screen Actors Guild holder. Been a member for the last 25 years. Okay, so let's... Let let let's talk a little bit about your life, Bo. Give us a, a give well, us a origin story. I think I had a remarkable life, and if it all ended right now, I'd be very fulfilled and happy. Life is something that you have to be satisfied what you did. You're gonna make some wrong turns in life. I made a lot of wrong turns. We got to start my life in the beginning. I grew up as a mother. Uh, that a child of a mother was from uh, Catania, Sicily. My father was born in Germany. I was a first generation. And I grew in an uh, ethnic Italian neighborhood in Ozone Park, Queens. And uh, we had a lot of organized crime people that were there. John Gotti, I grew up with Scopos, Joey Scopo, all these guys. And it was either going one way or the other. But my father's strictness, 
I used to think my name was, and I'll say something, little Karis, little Guinea. My father used to call me that. I didn't know what it meant. He disliked me so much because I looked so Italian, and he was German, and he used to beat me up pretty regularly with a strap. And I learned one thing. I learned that you had to respect people, and I used to always open my mouth and say, what do you, you know, I used to say, why are you hitting me? I'd get, I'd get hit more for that. If I looked at my mother wrong, respect, I couldn't look at my mother, talk back to my mother, watch the clock, five o'clock, and then all of a sudden, my father's belt come off with the FD, Frank Deedle, and it would be embedded on my ass, the FD, when he, I would get a good spanking. Point is, I grew up, I knew one way, I had to work hard. I used to sweep factories out as a kid. When I was seven years old, I took a newspaper route to Long Island Press, delivered 76 newspapers, swept the, uh, like I said, swept the factory out in the afternoon from three to five, worked on the weekends as a bus boy, always working, always working hard. I'm the only ex-homicide detective that retired from the New York City Police Department and made over $75 million. But what was my biggest problem was I never realized when I was making this kind of money what it really was. I didn't regard money, and I still don't regard money. If I want to buy something, I buy it. I was the guy with the Bentley Azor, the Bentley GT, the 600SL, and the uh, M6, all black cars sitting in my four-car garage. I was the guy that flew on private jets. I was the Nets jet spokesman. So I had a fair, I had a really cheap price, had my own jet. I used to fly the golf outings in Florida and California, rented chartered boats around Capri in the south of Italy. I just loved the money. I'd go to the store, I'd actually go to a place, John Loeb, People don't know what John Loeb is. John Loeb's the most expensive shoe store. Wear shoes, crocodiles, $12,000 a pair. Give me two pairs. Watches, a long array. I, what I'm trying to bring out is I was in, in excess. I was a person that bought the best houses, did the best things. I would contribute $25,000, $50,000 to charities. My accountant would say to me sometimes, Bo, you don't have the 50000 How could you commit to it? I said, well, we'll put it together. Let, let, let me connect it for one Go second, ahead. though, because you're talking about excess. You're yeah. talking about spending a lot of money. And you're yeah. talking about growing in, up it, in a blue-collar area. Yeah, because it comes out there. Blue-collar area, Ozone Park. No, I would and say so middle middle, middle to poor. Okay, middle, middle to, to poor. Middle, middle to poor. Yeah. You're growing up. And so yeah. then you tasted some success. Yeah. You start firing in the material goods. Yeah. And you want to make a point. And what's the point? The point is that people have to realize when something comes real quickly, you got to remember it's maybe it's not going to always be there. And you've got to think about tomorrow. I had friends that invested in real estate. I was supposed to be partners with somebody, and I'd say, don't worry about the paperwork. Don't worry about this. And I thought I was a partner in a lot of different real estate investments, but I really wasn't on top of it. I wasn't paying attention. Bottom line is, when success starts to happen, which it'll happen to a lot of people, you got to remember the old, the days when things weren't so good, and you got to save for that. You got to prepare and be on top of everything. Be on top of your business. Be on top of your expenses. All that, and also, I think the most important thing that I learned was your appearance. Uh, you know what? Your appearance is so important. If you dress nice, neat, you dress for success. My son, little Bo, just graduated Binghamton. So the first thing I did with him was I took him to 
my suits and I bought five custom suits. I bought them five sports jackets, five pairs of pants, two pairs of shoes, cashmere overcoat. I spent 10 grand. You know, I said, son, this is your graduation present. He goes, but dad, they said, you don't have to wear a suit. I said, you wear a suit. 12 shirts, ties, beautiful. I said, you wear a suit every day. You show respect for the people you work for. Then when you try to talk to somebody, they're going to listen to you because the way your appearance is is so, so important. And that's one of the factors, I think, in success in life uh, as far as I'm concerned. And also, don't be afraid to try something. I tried the acting. I owned software companies. I didn't have the private investigator. Wrote three books. They. It's just... You could get as much as you want. Shoot for the stars is what I'm saying. Ozone Park, you got a good street education in Ozone oh, yeah. Park. Then you became a cop. What year did you become a cop? Became a cop in 1970. Okay, so how old were you? I was, uh, at that time, 20. All right, so you went from 20 to 35 as a cop. Yeah, prior right. to that, I worked as nine work on the World Trade Center, right. the original World Trade Center. Right. So you, you helped build the first World Trade Center. Yeah, and so, so you got a street education, and then you must have got a street education as a homicide detective, right? Oh, and the first thing out so was tell us, tell I volunteered. First thing is I volunteered to be a decoy cop where I would go into neighborhoods and get mugged. I was mugged over 500 times. I was hospitalized 30 times, Anthony, stabbed, shot at. Everything that I wanted to do, I wanted to do the best. If you're a a factory worker and you sweep factories, sweep them the best. Try to be the best at what you do. So so the, the street, though. Yeah. You got listeners out there that are in the car right now. Tell them what you learned on the street, both as a kid and as a cop. Okay, how you could learn, you relate it to you that? You learn with me, I love toughness, but I also love, and I tell you the secret is, toughness with compassion. If you had to crack a guy in the jaw, break his jaw, you could say you're sorry, you know what I'm saying? You have compassion. I uh, My last case was the Palm Sunday Massacre. Yeah. Ten wanna, kids wanna, shot in the head. I want to I talk about a couple of these brutal crimes, okay, because one of them was in One Tough Cop. The, the, the one crime in particular was the crime with the nun, but I want you to— Most uh, heinous crime in New York history yeah. by uh, Mayor Koch labeled it. So I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about it, and I want you to act like— no one knows about the crime because there are probably people that are younger than us that don't remember seeing it in the Daily News every day. But go ahead. Yeah, it was also in the Postal. But the point was, it was a Saturday night. We would come in for 6 at night to 2 in the morning, me and my partner, Tommy Collard. The station house was really quiet. I said, what happened? A cop get shot? No. Something happened on 116th Street in Pleasant Area, right near Rails, two blocks away. So Tommy and I jump in the car. We go over there. I see one of the detectives. They said, what happened? They said, two guys raped and sodomized a nun, carved 27 crosses into her, put a broom into her and all kinds of, I don't even like to think about it, but they left her for dead. So this is on a Saturday afternoon. We had nothing to do with this case. They brought in 200 detectives. How big was this case? It was kept out of the news from Saturday to Wednesday. On Wednesday, front page of the news, this nun gets raped, 27 car, crosses carved, and Koch comes out, most heinous crime. I said to my partner, Tommy, I says, man, I says, this is crazy. Let's try to work on it. I go to the detectives. They go, Bob, we got 200 detectives. You guys are street guys. I said, yeah, we're street guys. Then they tell me, uh, we got our own task force, and you're not part of it. I go to Tommy. Tommy, I'm going to go talk to the captain. We got some information. We looked at where it occurred. 
Now, burglary, I believe, was the motive because they came through the roof off the other building. And there was two of them. So when do sex perverts work together? So I figured burglary was the, was the motive behind them. We started working on it. We started hitting every drug location. I put guys' heads in toilet bowls. I hung some guys off the roof. We did everything. Didn't hurt anybody. It's just something that we were on a mission. And in the New York Post, believe it or not, or Daily News, said two cops on a mission from God. You know where I got that from? The Blues Brothers movie. Because when, inter- when I got interviewed, they said, how did you do this? So here, real fast, because it gets real interesting. I go to the captain. Vinnie Rayo was alive. He owned Rayo's restaurants. He said to me, oh, the guy... I was outside the restaurant. They said they come from 125th Street, the guys you want. Now, this was no real information, but it was like a, a light that went off. It meant something. Old fellow Felix Brinkman, Felix Brinkman, he was an Auschwitz survivor, my best friend. He did, he got killed, but my best friend, I'd go down to the Adam's Apple and see him, and he used to tell me, you know, Bo, this case is in your area. Why aren't you getting involved? I get involved. I asked the captain, Captain, give me three days to work. I get Tommy out of the bar. We used to hang out at the bar a lot, you know? So we get out of there, I says, yeah, we're going to have coffee, and we're going to catch these guys. We started rousting every pimp, every prostitute, every drug dealer. We busted up these pimps. I used to rip their clothes off. You know why? Because that was their favorite thing, was to wear nice clothes. So I'd rip them off, and I'd say, you're not going to be doing any pimpitation any until we find these guys that raped this nun and carved the crosses in her. So next thing is... I get a call from Fat Tony Salerno, head of the, of the Genovese family. Mm-hmm. And he goes, hey, Bo, come over and meet me at the Colonial. I meet him over there, cigar in his mouth. Tommy was sitting outside in the car. I said, what's up, Tony? He goes, you guys, get involved with this non-rape case. And we got, it was like our mission to get him. So now we find this old guy in this one apartment building on, on 25th Street. And I said, we're looking for a tall burglar and a short guy. The short guy had a bop. It wasn't a a limp. It was a bop. So make a long story short, the father calls us at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and he says, my son heard that you guys were here. Now, I didn't think he did anything wrong, but when he heard you were here, he hopped on a bus to Chicago. So we still don't know what we got, but I go like this. Now I call up the inspector. I said, Inspector Sabone, I said, I don't know what we got, but... This guy in the bus knows something. He goes, well, get on a plane. This was during the Patco strike in 1981. Not too many planes were flying. He gives us permission to fly out. So now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. The bus is arriving at 6 o'clock in the morning. We can't get on a plane at 7. What would you do? What would you do? I dialed the number for the Chicago Police Department. And I said, give me the detective division. And they go, we don't have one of those. We have the violent crime section. I said, that sounds good. I'll never forget the call. Sergeant Kelly, violent crime section, Chicago PD. I said, Sarge, this is Bo Deedle in New York. You don't know me. I don't know you. How long are you on the force? He goes, 27 years. I said, you ever get a feeling? He goes, yeah. I said, this has to do with the rape of the nun. He goes, with the 27 cross? It was a national story. Big, big, big. I said, well, they get off the bus. We'll be on a plane. He goes, don't worry. We'll, we'll, uh, I describe what they look like. I sent the facts with a picture. Back then, it was a teletype or something like that. So now it's about 6 o'clock in the morning. The phone rings. We were going to LaGuardia Airport, me and Tommy. Bo, Sergeant Kelly, he goes, we got your boy. I said, 
what do, you, what do you mean you got him? He goes, we took him to the Great Lakes. I put a double-barrel shotgun in his mouth, and he owned up him and his friend, him and his friend. They got her on a third-floor pew, and he gave up the second name of the other guy, Max Lindemann. Doesn't sound very very Jewish to be a black guy. Tommy says, I locked up Max Lim- Lindemann in the black out of 77. So we look for the thing. So now we, the last known address, I go up the fire escape. We broke it to the apartment where it's last known to be. Next thing is, wrong apartment. He moved out of there. Gave us the forwarding address. We go there. I go climb up the fire escape. Tommy bangs on the door. He starts opening up the window. The window opens up. And then I grab him. I take him down a fire escape. I think it was four flights up. He never hit one step. I dragged him by his head down. Boom, 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 boom. I get him into the uh, station house. And he said, keep that guy with me. Next thing is we're interrogating him. All the other detectives says, ah, you guys got the wrong guys. He says like this to me. Keep that guy away. Then he said something about my mom. My mother was alive at that time, and he said something very vicious. I was up for three days. I don't remember too much, but he ended up with a broken jaw, and I got pulled out of the station house, right? And the next thing is I look through the two-way mirror, and he goes, well, I never raped her. I was there. Chicago's the one that raped her. And he said, oh, God, we got the right guys. And that was a big case. After that, the detectives come in, and they pulled us out of the uh, station house, and it was the biggest case in New York history there as far as breaking. It was very interesting. And that's how you got the rep, one tough cop. You, 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 how mean were the streets back then? Well, give, give people well, this a was, we used to have cleaned up more. 20, this, in, the, in the 70s, we had up to 2,200 murders a year. So you got to remember, you're having about 500 now, 2,200 murders, hundreds of thousands of robberies shootings all over the place. You had to be tough on the street, and you had to go out there, otherwise you weren't going to be coming home. And uh, remember, 1970, we had 13 cops killed. 1971, we had, I think, 11 cops killed. We had the Black Liberation Army was killing a lot of people. So this is this is part of my point. My point is, if whatever you believe in that you can do, you go out and you do it. You grab it. Life is so, so great and so wonderful out there that you can do whatever you want. I ran for the United States Congress. I got hurt. Everything was great. Everything was great. My life has been a what wonderful you, what life. Do you, what do you think of the streets of New York City today? Well, I think the streets of New York City is a undercurrent of a lot of guns are on the street illegally. And uh, with this new mayor, I called him, I named him Mayor uh, Big Bird de Blasio because he's big. And he's stupid. And he's like Big Bird from Sesame Street. And what has happened is they've taken the heart and soul out of all the cops out there. And the cops now are not, we used to call it tossing, grabbing guys that you suspect of carrying guns, toss them, get the gun, get the gun off the street. That's the same gun that's killing people. We can see every day in Chicago, Chicago we have, I think, something like two murders every single day. Young African-Americans are being killed, and mm-hmm. no one's taking those guns off so, the street. So, so Paul, you got, you got those crimes going on. You have acts of terrorism. Yeah. Uh, should the average person feel safe? Nope. Nope. You should not feel safe because there's an undercurrent of, one, we, we in New York are a target and around the country, and what we saw what happened in Orlando is going to happen again. And the reality is the problem, the FBI has about 12,000, 14,000 agents. I was involved with a case trying to deal with the FBI, and you, you, they're just too sh- sh- strained for manpower. They don't 
give the information to the cops on the street. They should be sharing this information with the Orlando Police Department, the anti-crime guys. They need to get help and more agents they need in there because this terrorist threat is not going away anytime soon, Anthony. So we're short, we're short men and women. Absolutely, and they should give information out to the local police departments. And we know one thing. When the head of the CIA tells, tells the people of America that we have these immigrants coming in from Syria and they have migrating into the United States, and that is how the ISIS people will infiltrate more into America. If we don't know it and if we don't identify it, they're going to kill more Americans. Right now, I'm not working, worrying about the friggin' economy. I'm worried about life and well, death, yeah, Anthony. And they're tied, though, because you get more fear in the economy and then you slow down the economy. I want to I switch gears for a second because, uh, I mean, I meet a lot of people, but you're one of the more charismatic guys that I've met in my life. And so tell me what characteristics you think you've packed into that personality of yours that makes you charismatic. I think it's... Uh, you could do anything that you want to do. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I don't want to throw names around, but you know who I'm friendly with from some of the Redstone to uh, Warren Buffett. The guy looks like a radar head there. Bill Gates has had dinner with me. Bill Gates, member Microsoft, yeah. And, and, and a, a chairman, Les Moonves. I mean, you could name a person in every field. Jack Welch is a dear friend of mine. I was at his wedding. It's just that life is so, life is so, it's so delicious as far as I'm concerned. It's so much energy in life when you grab it. And you, of all people, you've been grabbing your share of life, too, because you believe in yourself and you do whatever you say. When they count you out, that only makes you tougher, well, I, Anthony. I, I, I appreciate that. But I want to I take our listeners to Rayos, and I want you to describe the magic of Rayos. Uh, and for those of you that don't know Rayo's, Rayo's is a legendary East Harlem Italian restaurant started about 120 years ago. It's been roughly in the same location the whole time. Uh, it is old school Italian. It has no phone number. You can't get a reservation. Uh, we've had presidents and other chiefs of state try and they get shut down at the door. There's no tables. No tables. Sorry, we're full. Find a friend that has a table here. We'll let you in. <laughs> And so this, uh, this restaurant, one of the greatest things about the word exclusive is that it means to exclude, Bo. It means that I'm well, excluding you, right? You know, so you, people get super ramped up and excited about it. You so. know, in Rayo's, you got, the, you got the round tables. You got one, two, three, four round tables. Then you got about eight booths. And then there's that super table, one of the uh, four round in the front that was made special by me where we could throw 10 people on there, right? Uh, how exclusive is it? How about DiCaprio? has been up on my table. Leonardo has been up on I've my been, table. I've been there with you with Leo. Three times in the last two months. But the point is that it's the most exclusive restaurant because it has an atmosphere about it. You step down the steps. It's like you're walking into the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s. Everybody goes in there, has a good time. It's all about the politics stay outside the door. Nobody's angry in there. And it's just a festive feeling. The food is great. It's family style. It's not like those little cutesy pieces of nothing. This you eat. You eat meatballs and macaroni, appetizers, fish salad. You go in there, you dig in there, and you get your steak piece of all. You could do what you want to do. But the magic is we all sing. They play all kinds of Four Seasons songs and Billy Joel. We all sing together. 
And you walk out of there and you say, holy mackerel, what a great night it was. And I've been going up there. I have the original table, Anthony, since 1977, Anthony. Yeah, no, I listened. You know, one of the, one of the first times I took my wife out, I brought her to your table. We had a yeah. great time. So you wrote a book called Business Lunchitations, how an everyday guy became one of America's most powerful CEOs and how you can too. And how did you go from being a cop to a businessman? And so tell us about Lunchitations, which I read, by the way, well, and loved. Well, you know, it was just it was funny. very authentic, Bo. And by the way, you guys should go out there and buy a copy of Lunchitations because this guy wrote it. Okay, and there's a magic in the book about relationships and personality. I don't think you could find it. I don't think nah, you, you can could find, find it on Amazon. You can buy it. Well, listen to this true story. They come to me about about the book. I I don't want to sell no books, but I tell you what, if you can get a podcast of it, you can get a listing thing. You do that. It's all about success. It's about not not uh, not giving up and. It was something where I go into actual stories. I put a CD in there with me talking to Warren Buffett. Here's a story that I love with Warren Buffett. I put these stories in there. He comes from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, Omaha there. Where is that? Nebraska? Yeah. It's like in the middle of nowhere land, right? So well, now he meets so a guy. He gets they probably to, like the place, Buffett. He gets to like, yeah, have you ever been out there? I have. You want to take an ice pick and drive it through your head. Nothing happening out there, right? So now he meets a guy. That he gets to like, he was a waiter, I believe he told me, in, in a place a place that he used to eat in, right? Next thing happens is he goes like this. I really like that guy. Fast forward 40 years later, the guy's the chairman of a soft drink company, Coca-Cola. His name is Keogh. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Don Keogh. Yeah. yeah. Legendary. So then, well, then all of a sudden, Buffett says, because I liked him so much, I ended up buying a big chunkitation of stock in Coca-Cola. But this is because he liked it. All these stories are out there where it's a blendation, Anthony, a blendation of life experiences. I got no problem of meeting the chairman of the board of any corporate, same as you. I see you in action at the SALT conferences, and I've been at every one of your things, and I see you in action with presidents, with uh, with anybody, and you have this way about you. You're not intimidated by anybody, and I love that about you. That's why you become my one of my dear friends, because you got to talk to me. My grandmother told me to treat everybody the same. All right, so let me ask you a question, all right, because this is coming from uh, uh, Samuel from Boise, Idaho. Well, what was the scariest thing you've seen on the streets in New York? Well, my last case, I walked into an apartment at 1080 Liberty Avenue. It's a street-level apartment on a, on a Palm Sunday massacre day. It was Palm Sunday, raining like crazy. I was off that day. I used to call in just to see what was going on. They said, Bo, we got four or five dead. Boom, I came in. My lieutenant says, what are you doing? And you're off. I said, you're off, too. I'm on. I walk in there, and the scariest thing was to see... Ten kids shot in the head under the age of 12, all headshots, laying on the floor. One scene was, I'll never forget, a young girl was sitting on the couch with jello chocolate pudding in her left hand with a spoon in her right. What, what happened? With a bullet why did, head why did that, that happen? What? Why did that happen? Over cocaine. The father was dealing cocaine, and the, what happened was the junkie that was involved with supplying them was owed $7,000. $7,000, they killed 10 kids for $7,000. No, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, this is these things are, are burnt in my head. I'm not that callous because i got to understand something, Anthony. 
I still cry at funerals. When someone dies, I still cry. I get tears. I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year, and I still cry. So, I mean, toughness can come with compassion. Like I tell my friend Trump, Donald Trump, my pal, right? I know him 40 years. I say, Donald, show compassion. If you say something wrong or do something wrong, admit to it. It makes you a better man to say, I'm sorry, I did something wrong, rather than just, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. We're not all right. And it gets me angry when people can't say I'm sorry. All right, but you're talking about human compassion. You've seen a lot of tough things about humankind, if you will. Oh, yeah. So what's your opinion of humankind as a result of your life experience? Well, there's good and there's bad in in life. And the thing is that I really want to believe in the good side. I really want to believe that but we could all love to get each other. But when I look at videos, which I just saw this past weekend, which was very disturbing, out of a out of a jihad kindergarten with kids training to blow things up at five years old against the hate and negativity that is being uh, is being sprung all over the Middle East, I say to myself, Will this ever end? Because I worry about your son, and my grandson and my kids and your kids, and I worry about them. What kind of world are they going to be facing? You know, like I said, economy's pretty decent now, but that's not our big problem. Our big problem is going to be the terrorist threat where people are willing to die for a reason that I still can't comprehend. Scary. But, but you, you like human beings. I like human beings. Of course I like human beings, Anthony. What, do I look like a friggin' Martian? No, but I'm just talking about you, 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 you've seen some terrible things, bro. I've seen but very terrible. But you still terrible. keep your optimism. You keep your love of life. Yeah. The point I'm making is that when people see stuff that is terrible or they've been traumatized at home or they've been traumatized outside of the home, they have to somehow figure out a way to bounce and get their mind in the right perspective so they can go forward and uh, be happy with themselves. Yeah, That's I the mean, point I'm making. you got to try to make your life the best and do the right thing. And be kind and say hello. I say hello to every cop on the street in every state. I don't even know him. I walk over to him and I go, thank you for your service. Because I feel it. What about loyalty, Bo? Talk to us about loyalty and how you feel oh, about it. Oh, that's very, very important. Because people, uh, their, their natural instincts is to go for the better deal. Even if they made a deal with someone... Go for the better deal. And I, I think that's a very shallow way to live. Your loyalty is a very important characteristic of being a successful person. Can somebody be too loyal? Yes. Yeah. You so can be words, too you're being loyal. loyal and someone's not being loyal to you. And there's sort of an asymmetrical thing going on that's not fair too, right? Yeah, you could be loyal to a fault where someone you tried to help and they keep doing the same dishonest things and then finally he said look man i love you but i'm not going to deal with you because i don't want my name to be associated i think that's an important message for people that you want to be loyal and you want to be strong you want to help people but you don't want to be an enabler when someone's crossing you or doing a bad thing to themselves or a bad thing to others there's there's a point where they forfeit your loyalty to them if they're being harmful or malicious. I mean, look at loyalty. You're exactly right. You can take it to a certain level, and then if the if the person you're being loyal to is screwing you over, that's have to be dealt with. What about what about instincts, Bo? You're, you, you've always struck me in all the years that I've known you. you got great instincts. Yeah. Does that come from being a cop? I don't think it was from being a cop. I think before I became a cop, I had it, and I just fine-tuned it. And people, I love when people say, oh, I want to be a detective. 
You don't be a detective. You grow into it. I learned from learning from great detectives how to be a good detective. And it's just a learning experience. But there's a little secret sum that's non-tangible, Anthony. It's a sixth sense that I can't explain. So, 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 so let's try it. Let's try to explain it. What goes on in your gut when you meet meet somebody? Like, what are you feeling from him? Is it body uh, if language? I knew, if I know it's a guy's a sleaze, I could I could figure a sleaze out. You know, what I do Anthony a little funny trick. I I look at a guy's shoes too. Shoes tell me a story. Tell me if, why. If a guy's shoes look like they just crawled through garbage and they're not clean, I look at a guy's nails. You look at their appearance. Here we go. We go to the appearance level of a person. If they they don't give a crap about how their appearance are. Then they don't care about important things. To me, the way you look and the way you present yourself is very important. So it goes it goes from the inside to the outside, but also from the outside to the inside. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a whole I was dressing approach. up, Anthony, when I was a cop, I used to go down to court with a suit. People thought I was a lawyer. And uh, we used to have Mr. Mr. Day and Mr. Night because we used to have to arraign our prisoners. So I used to let my partner punch me in in the morning at 9 o'clock. I'd be home. I'd get there at noon. We'd go to Fellini's. We'd start having cocktails at noon. I'd take them to lunch. But I'd be in a suit. So then I would walk into the courtroom. My prisoners never knew who I was because when I was a decoy, I used to put actual theatrical makeup on, dry blood. They wouldn't have known that was the guy they robbed the night before. They would never... Peg me as the guy. So when I'd go up there before the judge, and like Judge Torres, one of the great judges, Supreme Court judge, he used to say, Detective Deedle, did he give you a hard time? I'd say, uh, Your Honor, he grabbed my wallet and he ran. He didn't hurt me. Or, Your Honor, he smashed a bottle on my friggin' head and then he punched me. I says, Your Honor, he's not a good person. And the guy would be looking at me like, where did this guy come from? He wouldn't even known I was the guy he robbed the night before. You like being a cop? I loved it. Not today. I would not be able to be a cop today. What did you like about it back then? We had a guy in Harlem called Nicky Bonds, one of the biggest drug dealers in the, in the world. I went after his his bodyguards, the Hayes brothers. This is back in the 19, probably early 1980s. I'm out decoying. All of a sudden, I have the makeup on. I come into the station house, right, Anthony? I hear people yelling. I say, what happened? They says, we got the Hayes brothers. I said, wow, they're the guys that killed the Mount Vernon cop last week, right? Yeah, these are Nicky Bonds, six foot one each. <clears throat> I said, wait a second, they're in a cell, they're yelling? They killed a cop, they just had a shootout with you. They don't want their Polaroid picture taken. I said, put cuffs on me, put me in a cell. They'll get their Polaroid taken. They put me in a cell, they cuffed me. Next thing is I bump into one guy and tell him, steel chair. I said, you're in my chair. He looks at me like I was a Thanksgiving turkey. He's ready to get up. I used to carry brass knuckles too. So he takes a swing at me. Boom, I crack him. I take the metal chair. His brother turns around, crack him. Boom, now they're on the ground. I keep hitting them because if they get up, I'm going to be like a turkey for Thanksgiving. So now all of a sudden, they, all the heroes come in there, the cops. They handcuffed me. Now I'm supposed to be a prisoner, right? Little do I know, Mickey Moran, one of my friends, is in the back, drunk. He comes out with a blackjack. He hits me in the head with a blackjack from behind six times. <laughs> Fractures my skull. Thud, thud. I turn around, I say, Mickey, it's Bo. Next thing is, I'm in the back of a police car. I feel that warm blood coming down the back of my back. And all I hear is, 1013, we got a, detect a detective with serious injury. So I'm laying on a gurney, and the two guys I put in the hospital are laying on the gurneys next to me. And you know what? 
I just had that self-satisfaction was I wouldn't let them go. They killed the cop, and now they are telling the cops, you're not going to take my picture. They got their picture taken. That's all I say. But that was a different lifetime ago. So it's different now. You can't Today, get away with that. forget about it. I'd be doing time in Attica. Yeah. Never stole no money. Never took no money. Never, never was a corrupted kind of cop. I, I never, ever was involved in anything like that. But you got a couple secrets of your success, so share a couple of them for our listeners. Well, like I said, don't ever limit yourself. If you believe in yourself, go for it. It's there for everyone. Also, I learned something in business, Anthony. I learned in business, you've got to pay attention to your business. You know, like when I was making a lot of money, I was making about $8 million a year doing nothing, right? And I, I was flying around on my jet. I wasn't paying attention to my business. I had other people running the business. They didn't give a crap. They needed another million here. I'd pop it in there, right? And then they weren't doing the right thing with me. And I trusted, I trusted everyone, Anthony. That's something I learned. Uh, you know, I learned that in the years. You've got to be aware of okay. what's going on. What in else? Here. What other success ideas? What other successful ideas? Yeah, I, appearance, of course. Appearance. And then, like I say, when you're when you're growing up and you're still young yet, set your goals. Set your goals and realize that you've got to go and follow through. If you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, or if you just want to be a carpenter, or if you want to be an electrician. Do you know what the problem is? We don't have enough of trade people around, enough of people that do trades. Damn it, you can't put a nail in a wall, Anthony. You don't know how to fix something. Either do I. But you know what would be nice? Peanut I like butter and jelly, Bo. That's what I can fix. What's that? I can make peanut butter and jelly and toast. And maybe, I can cook. Maybe frozen waffles. I learned how to no, cook. No, no, you got a good Rayo. sauce. You make good sauce. I know. You got good meatballs at the house. Not yeah. like Rayo's, though, but good meatballs. Yeah. But before we go, I want to. I want you to tell the listeners about Bo Deedle and Associates. And I also want to point out that Skybridge has been a client of Bo Deedle and Associates since inception. I always tell people that are investors, this is a trust but verify society. But go ahead, Bo. Tell us about Bo Deedle and Associates. Yeah, I, I started 31. We're in business 31 years. When I say to people, we just had a big law firm, I did a presentation. And I say 31 years means something. Same company, same place, same Batman station. We've handled every type of case. I think longevity and experience is the secret of success also. The more experience you have doing different types of cases, working cases like this, and getting good people and pay them good. We show you appreciation because what happens in business is people are not happy. you got to keep asking the people who are working for you, is there something I can do for you? Give bonuses out. Don't just take all the money for yourself. If you can do it, give bonuses out. Show your appreciation. And then sometimes even call them into the office and say, you know what, you did a great, great job on that case. And that little bit makes them feel good about themselves, where you're expressing your gratitude for the work that they're doing. Well, you've been involved in so many charities. What's what's the importance of giving back to one success, in your opinion? Oh, boy. I, uh, I, I, I love charities. Probably if I was real rich, I would give a lot of charities, more than I do now. I'm limited because my income level now has diminished administrated a little bit. So now I think that's so important. You know, I mean, I can't say no to a charity. 
I never say no. I just, it's something inside of me when you talk about kids with cancer, uh, kids with blood diseases, little, uh, I, one of my big ones, I think I took you, Anthony, to Abilities in Long Island. Yeah, sure. That's the kids with the most severe yeah, no, was disabilities, no, no was, arms, no legs. When you very, go there, very touching and then thing. my friend Joe Namath, the old quarterback, yeah, he, he just got overcome by it. And we go every year. Charities are so important because when you become successful, don't forget there are other people that are not as successful. But, but when I describe you to other people, one of the words that comes into my head about you, grateful. You're a grateful guy. Am I right? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You know what I'm grateful? I'm grateful that I'm able to have things that my other family members don't have. And I think it's so important that that you say to yourself, and realize every day, realize every day, Anthony, you know, wow, I'm in a good position. When I go out to my house out to Long Island, Anthony, I turn off my head and I look, I'm right on the water, the Shinnecock, and I, I, I go into, a, into another dimension. I got on my back uh, balcony out there, balcony deck, whatever they call those things, and I watch the boats. I sit in the lounge chair. I just mellow out because I'm so... Every minute going at it, going at it, going at it, and then I just diffuse. And it's good to rest on weekends. See, too much work is no good either. You've got to rest sometimes. I agree with you. All right, well, anything else you want to say, Bo, before we sign off? No, I just want to say this, this is really cool doing this podcast with you because you're somebody I like. I'd rather do it with you than somebody I don't like because if somebody I don't like, I wouldn't be as open as with you. I would say anything. I probably admitted to about 15 crimes, but the statutory <laughs> statutory limitation is over with on all the crimes I admitted. I didn't kill anybody, so there's a statutory uh, limitation. Well, you're a great friend, Bo, and you're a loyal friend. That's a super important thing in life. And, but you uh, want to know something and you know else? what I'm grateful for? What's that? I'm grateful for having you in my life, man. Yeah, my I, friend, I and I love that. you and your family, and you know you could call upon me. Somebody bothers you, Anthony? You call I, Uncle I, Bo. And I've done it before. Bo Dito, I want to thank you for being on TMI. You've been a terrific guest. Our listeners can follow Bo on Twitter, at Bo Dietl, B-O-D-I-E-T-L, or on Facebook, Bo Space Dietl. And, of course, on Instagram, The Real Bo Dietl. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Until next time on TMI, you can follow me, Anthony Scaramucci, at Scaramucci. Remember to email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. Please subscribe to this podcast, TMI, with me on iTunes. And don't forget to rate and review it so we can continue to bring you the content that matters most. Please share this podcast with friends and coworkers uh, who you think would enjoy listening. And until next week, have a prosperous week. <laughs>